This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news. Hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan. A couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan. Get ready to start spreading the news. And good evening, everyone. We also are joined by the wonderful Dr. Tevi Troy, Yankee expert. This is a Yankee extravaganza. But before we start the show here on the Northeast Streaming Sports Network, I'm reminded of the movie Rocky Three. Rocky had been the champion, but Clubber Lang knocked him out in the beginning of the fight, in the first fight, Balboa Lang won. And then Balboa trained harder with Apollo Creed, his former nemesis, and was able to regain title at the end of the movie he defeated creed uh, excuse, excuse me he defeated lang and recaptured the heavyweight championship of the world we had been the northeast streaming sports number one program on the entire network and gloved fist which precedes us on monday nights at 7 p.m took over the top spot today we are aiming to take that top spot back, just like Rocky Balboa defeating Clubber Lang, we are ready to be the number one show once again on this network. Welcome to our show. Once again, I'm Dr. Paul Semendinger, joined by my co-host, Dr. E.J. Fagan, and our very special guest, our dear friend, Dr. Tebby Troy. Gentlemen, welcome to Monday Night. Uh, Paul, thank you very much. Let me say right now that uh, I congratulate our competition on beating us. However, I do not appreciate that you used a boxing metaphor to describe how a boxing show is beating us. Uh, so right now we have given up a lead in the bottom of the fifth inning. Oh, the Yankees, Yankees are coming no. up. No, I have no idea. If I, I'm, it's actually on the sixth. This, this metaphor is not current. Uh, oh, we, okay. we have given up the lead and Aaron Judge is coming up tonight uh, in the bottom of the sixth to uh, or top of the sixth to uh uh, to, to take back our rightful place. I like it. Sort of like the 76 playoffs, the Yankees were winning that game. And in the, I think it was the top of the eighth, Grant Jackson gave up a big home run to George Brett, which actually just tied the game before Chris Chambliss won it in the bottom of the ninth and sent the Yankees to the World Series. So, you know, when I think of metaphors, though, EJ, I think a lot about Rocky Balboa. So it's just, it's just natural that when you think about retaking a, a title, you think about Rocky and the way he retook the title. So the Yankees are on fire in real life. I thought EJ was talking about the Yankees go, uh, falling no, behind. It's, it's still tied in the, the seventh sixth right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think it's the top of the seventh now. Two two. The Yankees had had a two nothing lead, and I think they've now won nine in a row. And let me just ask you the, both the the easy question to start. We're going to begin with some quick thoughts. Are the twenty twenty two Yankees, who I think have the best record in baseball, are they for real? I'll go first. Yeah, they're for real. 
Uh, this team is the best run differential in, in, in the American League, second best in baseball behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they're hitting. A lot of guys who we didn't think we thought might not hit are the ones who are hitting. More importantly, they're pitching. They have the best pitching staff in baseball. It's not even close at this point. The bullpen looks amazing. They're doing things like base running and defense a little bit better. The team generally looks better constructed than last year. I think most importantly, they're healthy. This is the first time in years that I that the Yankees have gone a month plus, you know, other than a you know, little Joey Gallo dust up uh, or with an injury without injuries. Um, it's it's amazing because I I again I can't remember a time when the Yankees have been fully locked and loaded since what 2016 maybe 2017 yeah probably 2017 last time the Yankees have have looked this healthy and therefore they're this good so yeah I think they're for real for now uh, are they for real as a World Series contender well look I I mean what wins World Series we always say that pitching and defense wins World Series um, I think that's a little wrong I think good teams win World Series and bad teams don't. Uh, but this team can pitch. This team has good defense. Uh, but I think most importantly, this team has a bullpen. So right now, you know, there's a lot of teams they would go up against, including the Blue Jays, who couldn't throw out five, six, seven, just ace arms in a playoff game, right? They couldn't play a playoff game to the fifth inning with a lead and then kind of hold that lead consistently. The Yankees can do that. Um, th- that to me is the, is the best possible way to set up for a World, World Series, a World Series run is that bullpen. And let's be honest, if this is a team that's really good at the trade deadline, they're going to add. So this may not be the end of the team, too, right? There's a couple of spots in this, on this roster that are weak, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll add to it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, this, this looks like the best team in baseball right now. Heavy, do you agree? Well, I will say I am definitely pleased with what I've seen. The defense has definitely improved, which is something that, that really needs to happen. You're not seeing the base running mistakes that you saw last year, which is also a step up. And you're also you're getting some home runs, and Rizzo has found a way to find that uh, porch in Yankee Stadium, which is a good thing. But they're also scoring runs without the home run, which they did in Kansas City this weekend, which I thought was uh, also a positive development. And the pitching staff has been lights out. It's really been a terrific pitching staff. I, I think I joked with you over text, Paul, that uh, who would have thought that Garrett Cole would be their worst starting pitcher? Uh, it's not exactly true, but uh, he did seem that way in the first couple of weeks because everyone else was stepping up. So those are all good signs. I will say, and I also texted you about this, Paul, that uh, I just read this book, The Bronx Zoom, about by Brian Hawk about the 2020 Yankees. And he clearly wrote it thinking the Yankees might win the World Series, and then he'd have a, a, you know, the definitive book on, on that team. But what happened was that year was they started out 16-6, and six, which is the same record as this year, and then they had that awful collapse. They ended up 21-21, and 21, and then they had a little – they had a nice winning streak to make the playoffs – and then uh, they ran into Randy and Rosarina and the Rays in the in the playoffs. So you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. I do like the Yankees' chances, given how the rest of the American League looks kind of weak this year. I don't see any super teams in the AL. I'm thrilled to see the Red Sox stinking it up, which really makes me happy. And, uh, you know, you make the World Series, then you go up against one of these National League teams. There are some good teams there, but, uh, you know, I think the Yankees can hold their own. This is awesome. So, um, you know what impressed me yesterday in that final game against the Royals was the fact that they fell behind and they didn't just roll over and die. One of the things this team has done over recent years is is they haven't necessarily had that killer instinct to keep coming back, especially if they've won a series. It's like, ah, we won two of the games. That's all you got to do. Take two out of three. And you know, rest a few guys, and then if we fall behind, we fall behind, and, and it just goes that way. This team battled back, and they and they won the game, and, and, and that impressed me. Is there something about this team 
that has impressed you, uh, Tevi? I, I like the pitching. I, I really like the pitching. I'm very happy with that. Uh, but also just the, the fact that they've got the depth in the lineup that uh, we didn't expect. I mean, I, I was, when we had our preview, uh, I was a little uh, skeptical of Josh Donaldson. I think that skepticism has been warranted. But IKF, man, that guy has been a fine. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of power. Uh, you know, his, his OPS isn't high, but his batting average is high, and he's getting on base. And you need someone like that in the lineup. I mean, you can't just have – you can't just win with one-run homers. You need people on base to make stuff happen. And IKF is, is doing that, and DJ uh, also doesn't appear to have the same kind of power, but he's 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 over 300. Uh, Hicks also, I'm a little disappointed. Hicks seems to have lost his punch, but he is hitting close to 300 and was over 300 for much of the last two weeks. So uh, they've got more guys getting on base, and I think that's a good thing. And EJ, how about you? Uh, is there something about the Yankees that's less obvious that's that's impressed you the most? Yeah, well, one small thing and one big picture thing. So the big picture thing, this team feels like it fits the suit that it's wearing. Um, last year, they were playing guys out of position. They had a bunch of players who were all playing one position, and they and, you know, they, they couldn't, for example, they were hesitant to put John Carlos Stan on the outfield. Um, they were all right-handers, and so until the until the trade deadline, they they were just getting killed by right-handed pitching. And they've solved a lot of those problems. the The trades they made, uh, you know, if Donaldson doesn't kind of become very good, are kind of at best kind of neutral trades. I mean, the guys they gave up for you know Ursula and, and Sanchez, they're not they're not doing particularly great right now. So it's not um, they didn't necessarily lose out a ton there. Uh, but versus kind of what you're expecting them to be last year, it was kind of a neutral trade in a lot of ways. Uh, but it was a, a trade that made the roster work better. IKF, you know, if he has a 700 OPS, he's going to be an incredibly valuable member of this team. Forget just the the balance, you know, the balance of the lineup stuff that Tevi said. Just having a, sh- a guy who can play shortstop um, and and hit reasonably well, right? He can do both. He's the best version of Tyler Wade, which is which I think is is a great compliment. Mm. And so you 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 have a, a team that just it just fits better. It it the lineup makes sense. Aaron Boone has options that he can customize, and you know depending on the opposing pitcher, he can do he can do more or less. The other thing, uh, the small picture thing is, um, I think Aaron Judge is on another level right now. It, it is, it's hard to say that right because Aaron Judge has played at such a consistently high quality over the years. But if you look at his stats, you look like his WAR. He was a six-win player last year. Now, he was, what, seventh MVP voting. He had a really great year last year, but he was a six-win player, which is a very good player, a player who does that over a long period of time, goes to the Hall of Fame. But he doesn't win a lot of MVP awards. He's not a transformative player. He's not the kind of guy who you know puts up a Mike Trout season every once in a while or a Mookie Betts season once every once in a while. But that's the season he's having right now. He is hitting for more contact than ever. He's hitting home runs consistently. Um, he hasn't had a big hot streak. He hasn't had a big cold streak. He has just been steadily slugging six something the entire season. Um, I think he might t- end up, if he ends up taking a few more walks right now, he's, he's, his on base percentage isn't as high as, as it sometimes can be. But if he ends up getting that 400 on base percentage and ends up kind of hitting for hitting 290, 300, like he looks like he can hit right now, I, I believe he could hit that given the contact rates he has and he keeps hitting for power, then all of a sudden you're talking about an eight plus win Aaron judge, essentially rookie Aaron judge. We haven't seen rookie Aaron judge consistently since that one season, since he came up. Um, and if he stays healthy, he's in a contract year. So he's every, you know, he's every motivation to try to stay in the field and take care of himself. 
I think you can see something really special. Uh, he made a couple of plays earlier today in center field that I was impressed by. Like they look like they, they, they didn't look like big guy playing center field. Some somehow manages to get to a ball. Look like smooth center fielder got to a ball. Um, the numbers right now suggest the defensive numbers suggest that he's been a, an average or better player in center field, uh, which I believe from the eye test, like I just said. Um, and if that's the player you're talking about, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who looks like a little bit kind of like Mike Trout, big, tall, fast guy in center field. Not, you know, he, not Mike Trout himself, who's, who's having maybe the best season of all, start, best start to a season of all time right now or something crazy. Yeah, he, he's slugging like 850 and StatCast thinks he deserves it. Um, but that that kind of player, which the Yankees haven't had on their roster ex- since Aaron Judge's rookie season. Now, interesting. You, you're jumping way ahead, and I'm going to uh, continue this then with Tevi here. If we had time at the end of the show, I was going to propose this idea, but you're going to make us jump to it now. Um, Aaron Judge is uh, turned down a $30.5 million contract over seven years gambling on himself now let's say he sustains this all year the idea of course is he has been injury prone but if he sustains this all year this would be two years in a row without being injured he'd be putting up like an eight war season or so he could be the mvp could lead the yankees to a world series but he will be 30 and do you give a guy who's 30 seven years etc and i thought the yankees offer was generous but if he has a big year hmm why my goodness so if the opportunity presented itself right now, Tevi, for the Yankees and Judge to somehow come together and he said, tell you what, just give me the eighth year, or he said, you know, make it 33 million or something like that. Do you feel like now is the time to give Aaron Judge that big contract? Or do you stay strong with what you originally offered? Or or really the big question is, what do you do about Aaron Judge and this ending contract at the end of the year? Yeah, if he actually asked for that kind of amendment that was relatively small, I think I'd go for it because I think if he is the kind of year that EJ is talking about and he certainly looks like it, he's going to ask for a lot more. I mean, maybe uh, uh, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado type uh, contracts you know, goes beyond 10 years where you know it's beyond his useful value as a player, but he just wants to be paid on and on. And so uh, I'm actually a little worried about that. Obviously, I want to have him have him have the best possible year and lead the Yankees to the World Series and all those good things. But, you know, I'm not excited about signing a 30-year-old to a 15-year-old to a 15-year contract either. Yeah, I, I worry about the length. And, and you know, the Mets just did something today, which is, the again, out of the old Yankees playbook. They had Robbie Cano, and they just DFA'd him, right? They just said to him, like, goodbye. We know you owe you $40 million or so, but we're not going to let your contract get in the way of us trying to win a World Series. This is what the Yankees used to do. They didn't let yeah, the big contract... You can hang out with Bobby Bonilla somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. And and they didn't let the big contract prevent them from getting the next big guy or doing what they need to do to win. The Mets are really playing by that old playbook. Um, my concern is if the Yankees don't play by that playbook and they give Aaron Judge 10 years or 12 years or something crazy, then 10 or 12 years from now or probably even seven or eight or nine or 10 years from now, we're going to be saying, I wish the Yankees could get Derek Jeter Jr. or whomever the great Vladimir Guerrero III or whatever. Um, we wish they could get that guy, but they can't get that guy because, well, we're still paying Aaron Judge. So, so that's my worry. So let me ask you, let me ask it a little different way to both of you. Um, let's say the Yankees realize they can't meet Judge's demands 
and you know Donaldson will be a year older, and and uh, Stanton will be a year older, and Garrett Cole will be a year older, and Rizzo will be the next year on the last year of his contract. Is this maybe a one shot deal club? Like this is it? This is the year they're going to win it all this year, or at least try to, and then in twenty twenty three we might see a vastly different Yankees team. What do you think? We'll go. We'll start with Tevi. Well, EJ suggested something like this in the preview episode that this could be really the the one year the window closing and um and there's a bunch of guys in the uh in the minors i know uh, ej you said on your podcast recently that they're not doing so well this year but uh but there's a lot of promise there and it could be the opportunity where they start to go and move it in a different direction i mean look the when in 2017 remember how excited we were you had judge and sanchez and they're really young and they're taking the yankees to the cusp of the world series and we thought we had a five-year window of greatness you know you know they've been in the playoffs every year they've been in the mix but it just hasn't worked out the way we've wanted and i think we could be looking at a reboot after this year yeah i think we might ej what do you think I think so. Look, I, I think it's early to have that conversation and, and I don't really want to have it right. The, the season's ongoing. It's great. Um, this is a team that Live needs in to the win moment. the World Series. Stop and, and smell the roses. And look, if Aaron Judge has an MV, has an eight win season, wins an MVP award, or comes in second to Mike Trout's 12 win season or wherever the heck he's going to put up. Um, and the Yankees win the World Series, like whatever, right? Like I'll, I, we can have that conversation when it happens. Right now he's great. And if he's great, get gets him paid, that's good. And the Yankees, they if they want to keep him, they're going to have to pay up. I will say Aaron Judge is a franchise player, meaning he's the player that's going to define you know, 15 plus years of Yankee history. He's going to define a generation's kind of take on, on this team as the New York Yankees. And he deserves it, right? Like he is, he is a fun player to watch. He's a great player. He's a player who's, as far as we can tell, is a class act, um, who's a leader, um, he's a player that is memorable, right? He's the kind of player that you want to have on on your New York Yankees club long term. So if they have to overpay him a little bit, that's fine. Obviously, you don't want to pay him a terrible contract, right? You think about that Robinson Cano contract. He was the last really big free agent the Yankees let go. And they they made him a big offer. Seattle made him a bigger offer, and, and, and he went. He actually kind of delivered on that contract for the most part. Cano was really good for, for a good portion of that contract. But even so, the very end of it was bad enough that the Mets were willing to cut him. By the way, I bet he plays Major League Baseball again this year. If you look at his stat cast number, he was, he was actually kind of good still. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if some team signs him and then maybe trades him at the trade deadline. And it'd be interesting to talk about that with the Yankees if they need another left-handed bat, um, just, as, just as a note, something to put a pin on. Yeah, so, um, so I, I was thinking the same thing. I don't want him right now, but if Joey Gallo doesn't come back, or I don't know, could could be interesting. And and wouldn't it be ironic if he finally wins his World Series with with the Yankees? EJ, I like how you were talking about stopping and smelling the roses. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. the The day I most soured on sports radio on on the New York airwaves, I think was. It might have been after the 2000 World Series. It might have been after the 1998 World Series or one of those years. It might have even been 96. And the Yankees had just won it all. Everyone was excited. And somebody called up. It was probably the Mike and the Mad Dog show and said, I'm really concerned about next year. And they're like, can you please just enjoy it for a day, please? And so I got a so great I, story along those lines. In go, the, let's uh, hear it. 96 win. Yankees win the World Series. Everybody's happy in New York. I mean, everybody, even the Mets fans are happy. It's something that we're going to talk about later. And the float is going through the parade downtown. And Steinbrenner had a rule. No wives on the float. Only players on the float. And so Cashman tells the story. 
that one of the wives is on the float and Steinbrenner's red faced and screaming, get the effing wives off the float. And Cashman's sitting there thinking, if this guy can't be happy today, he's never going to be happy. <laughs> Same idea, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that being said, with with the Yankees and, and and trying to enjoy the moment, and and I think we should. The Yankees are playing well; things are going well. Is there an area of concern? Do either of you have an area of concern about this team? That that even though they're sixteen and six or whatever, and let me see if they're winning right now. It's still two two, bottom of the seventh. Even though they might even win this game against the Blue Jays and keep the streak alive, is there something about the twenty twenty two Yankees that's jumping out as concerning? What do you think? So I'll go first. Uh, look, uh, you know, I already mentioned the uh, 2020 example where they started out 16 and six and it didn't, it didn't go well. Uh, you know, there's still a team of a lot of homer hitters. I mean, you, you get, you know, Rizzo has been great and, and judge has been great, but uh, you get a couple of cold weeks where they're not hitting homers and then, then they're not scoring runs. That gets frustrating. Um, and as I said, there's not a lot of competition in the American league, but as far as I can tell, the other best team in the American league seems to be the blue Jays. And the Blue Jays eat them out for the division. And then the Blue Jays have home field advantage in the playoffs. And the Yankees don't. And it's just a tougher road. I'm concerned about Giancarlo Stanton. Um, he's getting up there in age. And so every time you see a slump from Stanton, you have to ask how much of it is, is temporary and how much of it's permanent. And Stanton's under contract for some time. And so if the answer is permanent and the Yankees long-term, you have to kind of start talking about whether they're in trouble. But just for this season... Stan has some bad stat cast stats this season. So he is in bottom 15% in chase rate. So that's swinging at balls outside the zone. And I don't think anybody who's been watching Stan is, is, is mystified about that, right? Like he, there's an outside slider he's going to swing at and it's going to look pretty bad. Um, because he's John Carlos Stan, sometimes he can hit that ball and, and do something with it. Um, but you don't want to see him swinging outside the zone. He has bottom 10% in swing and miss rate. So he swings and misses a lot. He has slowed down a lot. He's at 4% in swing speed, meaning that 96% of baseball players are faster than him right now. Some of that might be, I think, like effort. Like I, He doesn't seem like he goes hard all that, not that much, but I think his, his outfield defense, defensive numbers are probably not going to look that good with that type of speed anytime soon. Um, you know, Stan's always had a bit of like an unconventional, you know, approach to the plate, let's say. Um, he's a guy who just has a swing that we, you know, that doesn't look like anyone else's swing in baseball. And because he is so strong, he's been very successful with it. But that reminds me of a less talented player who also had a swing that was unconventional and also for a long time had a lot of success. And that was Gary Sanchez. And eventually Gary Sanchez, like pitchers, he, as he aged, he was not able to continue with the bad mechanics and he went downhill very quickly. Um, I, I worry about John Carlos Stan being that guy. If he is not able to kind of correct this to to just take a have a better approach at the plate, um, I don't know what the Yankees do, right? I mean, you, you can't have that hole in your lineup. He doesn't even like Joey Gallo, at least in theory. Gallo hasn't looked great on defense lately, but doesn't in theory have a gold glove, you know, defensive contribution. He's just kind of not good if he's not hitting. Now the, the good news is is Statcast has his his ex woba his expected woba way above where he is now. So right now his his woba is three hundred three and his expected woba is three seventy four. So that suggests he's been getting a little bit unlucky in terms of fielding and balls in play. Though that also could be the result of things like shifts or him just being so slow that he's not getting a lot of kind of extra bases, extra outs out of balls in play. Um, I have confidence 
still have confidence in Stanton, right? He is so talented and he does have this unique ability to put the bat in the ball. And we've seen it this season. It's not like, it's not like he's been bad since the start of spring training. He had a period in spring training in the first week or two of the season where he was hitting the ball like John Carlos Stanton. So I, I think that's going to improve, but it might not. And if it doesn't, the Yankees are in trouble. So let's switch gears here. In his previous start before uh, this weekend, Luis Severino was pitching a gem. Part of baseball is obviously it's a business and teams need to do everything they can to keep their players healthy and to keep the team on the field and to win as much as they can. And, and, you know, one of the things about analytics is, is it's taken some of the sport away from the game. I think we all knew when he was pitching in his previous start, when Luis Severino was working on a perfect game, I think into the fifth inning or so, that he wouldn't be able to finish that game, that that there was no way Aaron Boone was going to keep him in to go all the way. And from the business aspect, it makes sense, right? You, you don't want to uh, you know over overuse a guy, and especially a guy coming off an injury and blow out his arm or something like that, of course. And a lot of teams are approaching games like this and pitchers like this and, and pulling guys when, they, when they're when they on the cusp or getting close to being on the cusp of, of something historic. Now, that's really my big question is I just really want to dive into that with both of you. This idea that as we get more analytical and we think through things more, which again makes sense. But at the same time, does the sport lose something? Are, are we going to still still be able to see no hitters? And are we still going to be able to see remarkable achievements if there's a 80 pitch limit on a pitcher throughout the month of April and May and, and et cetera, et cetera? And ultimately, is that good for the game if the game loses stories? If you don't have no hitters, you lose a certain element of story and romanticism. People remember Jim Abbott's no hitter and David Cohn's perfect game and Dave Rigetti's no hitter on the 4th of July. Don Larson's perfect game. If you ha don't have those things, does, does the sport of baseball lose out somehow? And how do you reconcile the two? So either one of you jump in first. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on, on that. So let me, let me give you my thoughts. I think... It's tough because, you know, the the thing you're you're trying to prevent is injury and you're risking injury. And you're also doing it at a relatively kind of low probability of an event occurring. So Severino is the fifth in it. And so that's an easier decision, right? He's probably not going to go four more innings. He probably can't throw, can't do this without throwing 130 plus pitches or something like that. I think about the Kershaw game a few weeks ago, though. Kershaw is going into the seventh inning, so he needs to finish two more innings. He's Clayton Kershaw. Right. So he's he is, uh, you know, a, a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's, you know, he's certainly capable of going those two more innings without throwing a ton of pitches. He was at like 70 or 80 pitchers or something, but he wasn't stretched out. And then the question you ask is, is it better for the game to have that story or is it better for the game for Clayton Kershaw to risk, you know, re-aggravating one of his many injuries and missing most of the season? As a Dodgers fan, I think I would probably be like, you know, let's let's pull him. Right. I, I yes, I'd love to tell this story, but I don't. I, I don't think it's that it's that much worth it. Think about the Corey Kluber no hitter last year, right? That's gone, right? We don't talk about that anymore. It's not a legendary event in Yankee history anymore. Um, it, it's a thing that happened. It was fun to watch. It was fun to talk about. I talked about it on the podcast right after it happened. Uh, but then Corey Kluber went down with an injury. Now, are those two connected? I don't know. 
Um, is our da- David Cohen's end of career arm troubles connected to his perfect game? He threw a lot of pitches that game, or he threw a lot of pitches in that game in I think the '96 or '95 playoffs. Um, you know, these it's not a simple trade-off, and I, I think. Yeah, like we can talk about about the starting pitcher being kind of removed from the game as the most important kind of narrative figure. I think that's interesting. Uh, but I also think that removing kind of the rash of starting pitcher injuries that we, we saw much for much of the last decade, if we're, if we're successfully preventing that, I think it's worth it. What do you think, Tevi? All right, so Paul, in your question, you said, are we losing something? I think we lost that something, Right. You don't have the starting pitcher who goes 250 innings anymore. You very rarely have a 20-game winner. It's just not something we have in baseball. And do I miss it? Sure. But it's just not where we are. And uh, I think EJ was right to bring up the Clayton Kershaw example. I mean, the guy had 80 pitches. He's gone seven innings. And apparently the Dodger thinking was, well, if we let him pitch the eighth inning and he throws 20 pitches but gets it all, there's no way we can take him out for the ninth. So we take him out before the eighth even happens on the possibility that he throws a lot of pitching in the eighth and still has the perfect game going. I mean, it's tortured thinking, but that, that's how they're approaching it these days. You know, I do like the old days, and I think there are great stories. When we miss out stories, you know, one of my favorite things is the old Yankee story. So I'm going to tell a quick story. In 1977, Yankees had this young pitcher named Ron Guidry, and he noticed that Billy Martin, the Yankee manager, didn't pitch him deep into games and kept pulling him and Gidry didn't like it. And uh, he just felt that Martin didn't have faith in it. And so one day it's fifth inning or so Gidry gets in a little bit of trouble and Martin comes out to the mound to pull him. And Gidry says, get the F off my mound. And after that, Martin trusted him. Martin let him stay later. And, you know, he threw a lot, he threw a heck of a lot of complete games in those years, those great 77, 78 years with the Yankees. So, you know, the the, um, the fire in a pitcher's belly is something that I, I really like. I like to see. It doesn't seem like Clayton Kershaw fought that hard to stay in his almost perfect game with the Dodgers. Um, maybe it's because it's early in the season. Maybe because he knows he has back injuries. Maybe because he's thinking for uh, about the playoffs. But you know, a player, a pitcher says, "Get the off off my mound." That's from a, a bygone era, and I miss it. Yeah, it's 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 again. There's the rational side, right? Which I, which we all have to follow. I mean, we live our lives, I think, in the rational realm. But there is something about the sport, and 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 there's been movies made about the guy who pitches the no hitter, and and you know, there's big stories, as I was saying before, of Rigetti's no hitter and Doc Gooden's no hitter and um, Allie Reynolds throwing two no hitters in 1951 or whatever it was, and and you know, if the sport loses those human interest stories and and the stories of things like no hitters and and things like that i i think the sport somehow misses something and and it and and i don't know how you get that back if if we're going to have a situation where pitchers are going to be yanked after 80 pitches or 85 pitches or 103 pitches i it's going to be pretty impossible for guys to, to throw a no hitter. And again, it makes all the sense of the world. You don't want your starting pitcher to be hurt. Would you rather have Garrett Cole pitch a no hitter or win 20 game or win 20 games or 16 games even, or at least throw 180 neither. innings. He's not going to get a no hitter and he's not going to win 20. Yeah, correct. So, so at least is he, you want him to throw 180 innings or do you want him to throw that no hitter in, in the middle of May? You, you want him to throw 180 innings and you want him to lead you to a world series, but Somehow, as we get so rational, as we think so much about the sport, I guess some of the human element stories 
disappear uh, on the fringes. So I, I think just, this is this is major league baseball's responsibility, right? So you should expect baseball teams to do everything they can to win games. And when they they often will make the rational decision to try and win a game and use the strategies that make them win that game to make them win multiple games over the long term to keep players healthy to be you know more cheaply allocate player costs whatever right? you expect them to make all those decisions even if it's not that fun to watch because you know even if even if the narrative is fun I also like winning and I, I have more fun when the Yankees are winning when, than when they're losing and so yeah I want them to win. And I would love every other team to make the narratively fun decision, except for the Yankees, right? Like yes. that would be great. Um, and, and that's the collective action problem here. This is why Major League Baseball needs to think about changing the game, doing things to change the rules to make it more fun. We talk about, we've talked about this on the, on the podcast, on this show, you know, year, over the years, many, many times. And you can point to point to, to times when both baseball made decisions to make the, to make the game more fun. So for example, when they lowered the mound because pitchers were just too good. And, and that was the only way that they could prevent pitchers from throwing way too fast and preventing, you know, not, not being able to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to watch baseball games. Cause there were, there's not enough runs being scored. Uh, the NBA, they put in the three point line, the NHL, they did all sorts of stuff to kind of cut down the neutral zone trap and to cut down on goalies, uh, you know, preventing offense uh, too much, right? This is what baseball needs to do. Now, what can they do to get to make start, get, keep starting pitching in? Well, one thing they could do is finally go follow through with capping the number of relief pitchers on a roster. Um, the, that was supposed to go into effect today. So today or, or yesterday, I don't know, whatever, at some point at the beginning of May of this year, there was supposed to be a rule saying that you can only have 13 pitchers maximum on your roster. They expanded the rosters to 26 players. And the idea was, was that that expansion would not be used uh, to add another relief pitcher to the roster. And Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association got together and said, nope, we have to do it. We have to, we have to suspend that rule because players aren't completely stretched out yet. And I don't buy that, right? It's been a month, right? We are in a full spring training right now. They're as stretched out as they ever are going to be, which means that at some point, players and, and, and the teams have to adjust to make the game more watchable. Now, how is that adjustment? Now, there's a strategic adjustment. Right. Sometimes you just leave a pitcher in pitcher in a little more. That strategic adjustment, if you don't have enough relief pitchers on your roster, means that guys are going to be see the, the order a third time through. We, you talk a lot about pitches, and that's a very kind of five to seven years ago asked, uh, you know, way to think about it. No, you're making a great point about the that third time it, through the order. And, and, and we know statistically that starters are just bad the third time through the order. Even if a starter is having a great day, on average, they get much worse the third time through the order. And for reasons that make perfect sense. But that, that decision is a decision that teams should have to make in order to save their bullpen. Also, players need to not throw as hard. Think, talk about Luis Severino. Luis Severino throws 99. There's a reason why starting pitchers didn't throw 99 nearly as much back when stars were going deeper into games because they couldn't. Right? You can't throw 99 for uh, you know, uh, uh, 300 plus innings. Right? That, that, that's impossible. It's not something... Uh, that's sustainable or it's only sustainable by the rare kind of freak of nature. At the same time, there's a one reason why starters aren't going very deep in the games is our strikeout rate, right? It, it takes Luis Severino a lot of pitches to go through an order because he's throwing five to seven pitches to a lot of batters because he's striking a lot of them out because they can't make contact and they're not swinging because, uh, you know, they, they can only really put the perfect pitch into play. So there's things you can do to encourage that. You can, you can call a different strike zone. You can change the strike zone which I think is also very, very legitimate. Um, 
you know, I think I, I, I think I think we should be having these conversations. And I think baseball should be considering it. I, I get it that the game hasn't changed very much over the last 150 years, but it's not a sacred, you know, rule book handed down from God. It's it's a it's it's a it's a rule book for games for something that should be entertaining. Um, I really do hope that they're considering this kind of stuff right now. Tabby, any any other thoughts on that idea? Well, as a purist, I don't want them to change it too much. But uh, look, I'm okay with the pitch count. I'd like to see the electronic umpire because, uh, you know, we see an umpire like Angel Hernandez who's uh, constantly missing the strike zone. So uh, I think there are things they can do to improve things without changing the nature of the game. I mean, EJ mentioned the uh, three-point shot. I mean, I really think that changed basketball. And so a basketball game you watch today is just different than a game you would have seen in, in the 60s. Um, I think you can watch a, a game from the 60s and see it's in baseball and see it's pretty similar, although there's a heck of a lot more strikeouts. You know, that famous 1960 World Series game, the Yankees lost to the Pirates 10-9 and Bill Mazeroski's home run. And I believe that there were zero strikeouts that entire game. It's just a very different thing. That's unbelievable. I'd never heard that stat. All right, let's switch gears one more time, maybe two more times, but... I, I'm, I'm picking on sports radio. I don't listen to it very often because it sometimes drives me up the wall. So I was listening to a show the other day. My radio was on. I was driving somewhere. And the commentator was all upset about the fact that Spike Lee, a big Knicks basketball fan, went to a Nets playoff game. And he was apoplectic about it. He was going crazy about this, saying Spike Lee, Mr. Nick, cannot go to a Nets game. You can't be the best big Nick fan and go to a Nets game. If you're a Nick fan, you have to hate the Nets. And I'm listening to this, and, and I'm in shock, and, and I'm going like, where? Where does it say that if you like the Knicks, you can't like the Nets? I mean, everybody roots for whichever team they want and in, in any moment. And, you know, the, the, the old adage is if you're a Yankee fan, you can't like the Mets. But, you know, when Willie Randolph was the Mets manager, I like Willie Randolph. I want Willie Randolph to do well. I, I didn't root against the Mets. I was rooting for Willie Randolph. When Buck Showalter was the manager of the Orioles, they're in the same division with the Yankees. I didn't mind if the Orioles were winning a lot of games as long as they didn't beat the Yankees. I, I root for Buck, and now I'm rooting for Buck with the Mets. So, why can't I, as a diehard Yankee fan who lives and breathes Yankees, root for the Mets? Likewise, my father grew up as a Red Sox fan. He loves the Red Sox. He, he might love the Red Sox more than I love the Yankees, if that's even possible, only because of his he's older than me. But he could tell you every single stat about the Red Sox going back to when he first started being a Red Sox fan in 1946. He, he talks about Ted Williams every single day, and he's probably done that for the last 70 some odd years so if the yankees are out of it or if they're not playing the red sox you know i, I don't mind if the red sox win because it makes my dad happy why why does a yankee fan have to hate a certain team because somebody else has a narrative so it, do you guys agree with me or do you agree with the guy on the radio like if you're a yankee fan you can't root for the mets if you're a knicks fan you can't root for the nick the nets or or whatever what what are your thoughts but I'll go first. I have an approach on this, and I have a team that I love. In baseball, it's obviously the New York Yankees, and a team that I hate, and it's the Red Sox. And everything else is flexible. <laughs> I want the Red Sox to lose no matter what, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what it means for draft picks, whatever it is, I want the Red Sox to lose. Uh, but, you know, 
if the Orioles win a certain day, if the Mets win, if the Mets have a good season, I'm fine with that. So I just I'm trying to be consistent. Uh, you know, as EJ knows in college football, you know, I like the University of Texas where we we both went, uh, and I hate the Oklahoma Sooners. Always want them to lose, but other teams. Let's play it as it lays. I mean, the Houston Astros, for example, I currently hate them. But I didn't hate them in 2005 when they went to the World Series. What did I care? It's, I mean, it was a nice thing for the city of Houston. So uh, I have one team I hate, one team I like, and everything else, we'll, we'll see how it plays. Does that make you less of a Yankees fan, though? I mean, this, this is what Don LaGreca was saying. You you have the right to decide who you want to root for and root against, and that's great. But, this, but, but he was uh, – the guy on the radio was sort of saying uh, – you can't be a Knicks fan and also root for the Nets. It's 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 physically impossible. If you root for the Nets, you're not a big Knicks fan. I, I just don't understand that. Yeah, look, I, I don't think I, I don't I don't think anyone. Th- th- again, this is not something important, right? We're, this is baseball. This is fun. And so, look, look. If you want if you want to root for the Red so- the the Red Sox, if the Yankees aren't on the field because you know you want your dad to be happy, that's great, right? You know, I, I, I never, my mother's a big Red Sox fan. You know, she grew up in New Hampshire. I never had that same feeling. Um, but um, you What's know, going like, on with these split families. Yeah, I, I mean, look, uh, I, I'm just happy that, uh, that that I was raised the right way. Um, the the uh, the Mets in particular, I have never felt a strong rivalry toward at all. Like in, since I was like a 13 year old kid in high school, maybe then, right? Because like I don't know, kids look for ways to kind of separate themselves from others um, or look for conflict. Um, I, I'm reminded of a story though. I, and, and Paul, may, maybe, maybe you're the only person who genuinely has this, uh, this opinion, but I remember the 2008 Republican presidential primaries and Rudy Giuliani is running for president. Rudy Giuliani was coming off of mayor being mayor of New York. And he was, uh, you know, he was running essentially on his record as mayor of New York, but of course he has to run in, um, you know, he's running in, you know, the beginning of the, uh, of the race in the fall in New Hampshire. So what's happening? The Yankees are playing the Red Sox in the fall in New Hampshire, and the Yankees are out. Uh, the Yankees lose, and he's asked, "So what team are you going to root for now?" And Giuliani, trying to be the politician, says, "Oh, I'm rooting for the Red Sox." And everyone's like, "Are you kidding me? You are Mr. Yankee. You wear a Yankee hat. You have your own seat in Yankee Stadium. What the heck?" And uh, uh, and he goes, "Well, I'm an American League fan," and that I didn't buy. Like, no, no, no. Like, you're just you're like the guy who's running for Ohio State because Ohio's got a primary. No, right? Like. Like you, that was fake. And, and that would make me want to vote against a, a politician who did that. I would respect a politician much more for being like, you know, New Hampshireites, I love you, love you to, uh, uh, love you, love you to hell, but uh, I hope you lose tomorrow. Right. Like to me, that, that's, that's, that's the way, the, the way that you do it. Let me say something about sports talk radio. So I have a good friend who used to uh, be a, a sports talk radio host. His name is Pete McCarthy. He did a lot of Nets broadcasts. And I, I talked to him at one point because I was still writing a lot about baseball. And I was like, why don't you, like, come on, Pete, I know you know this, you know all this apometric stuff, you're good at this, like, why don't you do more of that on air? And he says, look, I have a four-hour show every day, five days a week, four-hour show. And so I could spend three or four hours doing some research, uh, maybe bringing on, uh, you know, bringing on a guest, talking about a really interesting post that I've read on Fangraphs. And that's 15 minutes. And then I have three hours and 45 minutes more to fill. So what do I do? I call up Benny from the Bronx. And I let Benny from the Bronx complain about something. And that that's where it's talk radio. You know, we have an hour to fill once per week. And we struggle sometimes to fill that hour. Um, but we don't have four hours to fill five, four days a week. I mean, at some point, you just have to look for conflict. Crosstown rivalries are conflict. People are going to make that are, are going to are going to are going to get some some joy out of uh, I don't know, picking on the Mets. 
I just, you know, I, I, I've been to a, my, 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 a fair number of Yankee Mets games in my time. And they're not places to bring children, right? Like that, that's the problem with, with this is that when it spills over into real life, um, we talked about the heckler last year, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the whole last heckling week. incident last week. And like, that's one incident, but basically every single Yankees Mets game is like, is like a violent affair. Right. There's fights going on in the stands. There's people throwing stuff at each other. And to me, that that's well over the line. Um, I'm a big hockey fan and the, there's nothing more animal than going to a, a Devils Rangers game um, because hockey is, is more emotional than baseball in a lot of ways. Right. In baseball, you're sitting back in your seat, you're relaxing, you're having a conversation with people in hockey. You're focused. Right. And you're focused. And then all of a sudden somebody gets hurt and there's a play and there's a fight and the fight spills into the stands. Um, that's not okay, right? That is, that's a problem. Um, and, and it, it's a problem that, that, that feeling of rivalry and, uh, rivalry kind of, um, kind of, uh, creates. And so, you know, I, I just hope that, I just hope that people aren't, aren't taking any of the sports talk radio stuff too seriously. It's, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And I understand I, I was once one of my favorite segments that Mad Dog Russo ever did. I had like a 20 or 30 minute commute, um, from, uh, the school where I was working at the time and he was flying solo and he just, uh, opened his show and he started complaining about the San Francisco giants and dusty Baker. And he just went on and on and on. It was hysterical and it was fun. And then like at the end of the segment, I guess he had to cover the first 20 minutes. So he went to the first update he said something like, and you didn't think I could eat up that time without talking about dusty baker and getting everybody all upset i could do anything and something like that like i i did that on purpose just to kill 20 minutes because nobody thought i could and i thought that was hysterical and the fact that he admitted doing it i, I thought it was hysterical it's hard so, i'll tell you i cannot imagine doing four hours of, of, of radio of radio i mean that, and not only that they they have to address multiple sports Yes. Because that's the only way they can fill the time, right? So you don't not, not only have to have something interesting to say for two hours a day about the Yankees every day throughout the season and the offseason, but then you got to have a, a take on, like, you know, the Rangers, on the Knicks, on the Giants, on the Jets, on the Mets, on the Devils, on the on the Islanders. Like, that is that, – that's a tough job. Tough job. And, and, like <laughs> and, and, yeah, to keep an audience that for and engaged. And not to be repetitive, because you can't really, I guess, talk in the three o'clock hour. If you talked about it in the two o'clock hour, even if you're having different people coming on and, you know, on and off the radio, depending on their commutes or or when they're listening, because you can't just keep repeating the same thing every hour. So great points. Let's let's get to one last uh, quick topic here, um, because I, I don't have an answer to this one. This one has befuddled me. So I'm doing a series on Start Spreading the News where I'm counting down every single Yankees uniform number. I started with 99, and now I'm all the way down to number 30. And I'm picking who the greatest player was at that uniform number. Like 37 couldn't be Casey Stengel because he wasn't a player. So I had to find the best number 37. And I got down to number 30. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I don't know who's better. The Yankees had two great number 30s, two guys who are legendary Yankees, and each, I think, can make a claim to being the best Yankee at number 30. One was the great starting pitcher, Mel Stottlemyer, and then the next guy to wear number 30 was the great second baseman, Willie Randolph. So let's have some fun for a couple minutes. We'll start with Tevi. Tevi, which of those guys, if you had to pick one, 
is the greatest number 30 in Yankee history, Mel or Willie? Yeah, I'm on Team Willie on this one. As we discussed uh, beforehand, the uh, Willie's got a more significantly higher war. I believe he's at 54 war with the Yankees, right? And, uh, you know, that's a Hall of Fame number. I mean, that makes you wonder why Willie actually didn't make the Hall, and, and perhaps he should be a consideration there. Um, he was on a team that won two World Series, although he didn't play famously in that 78 World Series, and Brian Doyle came out of nowhere to hit something like 400 in the World Series. Uh, but, you know, he was on a team that from 76 to 81 – was constantly in the discussion, was in the World Series uh, four times, won two World Series. Uh, he's a rookie of the year. Uh, and you know, don't get me wrong, Stoudemire was a, a good pitcher on a Yankee team that um, was briefly good, and then um, and then he was kind of pretty much the only good player on a Yankee team that was not good in the mid-60s. in the mid uh, But, but I, I think Willie's got the edge. And i got to tell a, a quick Willie Randolph story, some stories in my game. Uh, you mentioned that 1976 game five against the Kansas City Royals. There's a play in the ninth inning before the Yankees come up and before Chip, Chris Chandler fits in his famous home run, where the Royals have a runner on first. There's a ground ball uh, with one out, and there's a ground ball in the middle of the infield. Willie Randolph picks up the ball, steps on second. I, I guess it was the third out, so there's two outs. Billy Randall steps on second in a very close play and then keeps running to the dugout. Doesn't wait for uh, the umpire to make a call. Doesn't wait for a, um, the, the replay. He just runs straight to the dugout. Now, apparently, this move of just stepping on second, assuming it's an out, and running to the dugout was something that John McGraw had taught to Casey Stengel, who taught to Billy Martin, who taught to Willie Randall. And Willie Randolph used that, makes the play, George Brett was on deck, and remember, he was killing the Yankees in that series. And then the Yankees go, and you have Chris Chambliss as a rogue. So Chris Chambliss is famous for that game, but Willie Randolph's play that he learned from great-great-grandfather John McGraw was the play that set up that situation. So I want to Willie. That's awesome. All right, EJ. Yeah, John McGraw, one of the one of the, one of the more fun players uh, ever to play the game of baseball. Another guy worth worth talking about another time. Look, I, I think it's easily Willie, Willie, Willie Randolph for everything Tevi said. I mean, the Randolph was a Hall of Famer. You know, in addition to, I mean, he he had five or six years after the after he left the Yankees. But even just his Yankees time, he was better than Stottlemyre. You know, it's one of those things where you kind of wish that you could break um, you could break the tie with coaching. But they were both coaches during the dynasty, right? Like like you couldn't. You, you couldn't be like, well, you know, Donald Meyer was better, but Randolph, you know, he, he was he was a coach, you know, from 96 through through 2000. No, like they they both were the core of that team. It's really fascinating. Um, the core the core of that coaching staff um, as a coach, you know, Stottlemyre, I thought at the time was one of the great pitching coaches in the league. Um, and the Yankees certainly had the pitching staff to, to prove it. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, Randolph has a good reputation as a coach, but he wasn't, you know, I, I don't think I, you know, it's hard to stand out as a, as a bench coach, right? I mean, it's a, it's um, uh, or as a third base coach, right? So it, it's not, it's just a different, a different kind of world. So you can give him the coaching, but that's not enough to, it's not enough to put Stottlemyre over the top. Uh, easy, easy, easy Willie Randolph. If Stottlemyre was a pitcher on the late 70s Yankees instead of the mid-60s Yankees and he was putting up those 20-win seasons like he was, and, you know, he pitched the Yankees to the 64 World Series uh, by, 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 by being so great, and his career was cut short because of an arm injury. Um, but if he had played with a different group of players that, that elevated the team around him and 
he won 20 games a couple of times again in the late 70s. Would that change the equation or is it still Willie? I mean, if he had a completely, yeah, if he had a completely different career, sure. But like, no, 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 it's the same career, the same numbers, but he he's not no. doing it for the sixty six and sixty eight. Stalin didn't play for that long. He had, he had a ten year career. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the arm injuries, like that just used to happen, right? Stoudemire pitched a ton and then blew his arm out. Whereas Randolph was, you know, because he was a position player, was able to play a, a pretty long career. Um, you know, if Stoudemire, Stoudemire only played for ten years, and one of those was a was a, a partial season rookie season, so. That's not great, right? I mean, you know, I, it's his, his time in Yankee history is not legendary as a player. He was a notable pitcher, and the Yankees don't have a lot of pitching. If you actually look at Yankee history, mm. it's not loaded with with ace pitchers. It, this is a hitting franchise. This is the Bronx Bombers. Um, but even during his time, right, Stoudemire was overshadowed by some of his peers, and and so no, I don't think it's. I, I don't think this is a hard call. Sorry, Paul. I, I know I know you want some debate because not a lot of common great players wear the same uniform number. Um, and thirty no, is a I'm, great I'm, number. Listen, right? I'm not the I'm not the guy on the radio sports yeah. radio trying to generate debate. I I I couldn't make a call on this. So we have an article tomorrow. It's uh, every Tuesday we have the writers write in and give me their opinions on something, and I'm asking them for the Tuesday discussion. Who's better, Millie Randolph or Mel Stottlemarks? I couldn't decide. Willie wins by war and 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 all of that and World Series appearances. But then I started just, you know, second guessing myself and saying, yeah, I know war is all, you know, very important, but Willie wasn't the ace on the pitching staff. He wasn't the anchor. And is it Mel Stottlemyre's fault that he played during a worse era? He didn't have Reggie. He didn't have, I mean, he did. He had Munson for the last couple of years, but he yeah, didn't Mickey have Mantle, that same but it's not the, the same Mickey Mantle. Yeah, but he didn't have the same yeah. Mickey Mantle, right? He had, he had the washed up Mickey Mantle. So I just thought it was a fun question. Well, let, let me let me just um, put a capstone on this and just say, I agree that it is Willie. Willie is better. But to find two players with the same number who were that close, where it's worthy of having this much debate, is it, noteworthy. Yeah, you know, and thirty is a nice number, right? That's a nice round number. It's uh, it's a desirable number. It, it, it's a fun number. Uh, as a as a fan of again the New Jersey Devils, Martin Brodeur, number thirty. I'll always remember that. Um, one thing. I, uh, this is a this is just a weird side note. The Devils for a long time had a weird practice because Brodeur was number thirty, and because there's only twenty something players on an NHL roster at any given time, um, they always had Brodeur as number thirty as a goaltender, and then their backup goaltender for decades was always number one. And so every player was somewhere in between one and 30 and they just refused to go over 30 just for whatever some uh, Lou Lamorello, their, their general managers, you know, aesthetic preferences. Um, they would also try to have defensemen as single digit numbers. So you'd have defensemen as, you know, three, four or five, you know, some of the, the greatest devil's defensemen were, were, were those low number, low numbers. Uh, they had one really great player who was 27. So their defensemen were in the high twenties and the, t- and, and the single digits and forwards were in the teens in the low twenties. For somehow the Devils kept that together for like 20 years. Um, you know, I, I would love to see some some major league team try to try to keep their numbers consistent that way. That'd be kind of fun. There is going to be another debate. I got um, a bunch of numbers to get to, but the Yankees did retire uniform number nine for Roger Maris. They did not retire uniform number nine for their great third baseman Greg Nettles. And the great Hank Bauer wore number nine. So when I finally get down to number nine, I'm going to have to do some some real uh, research and things like that. My heart is Greg Nettles, and I think it, it's going to be Greg Nettles. But that that could also be a discussion. But this this series I've been running for a number of years, and I only run them when I don't have other Yankees 
current stuff to talk about. It went a lot during, you know, the, the lockout. I had a lot more time to uh, find things that didn't have to do with the day-to-day because there wasn't a day-to-day. So those numbers started counting down quicker. So by the well, time Paul, we get to number you, nine, I, it could be next year. But I would love to topic. know about some players who wore the retired numbers other than them. Like, who's the second best player to wear number two? I have yeah, no idea. Bobby okay. Mercer, maybe off the top of my head. Oh, there we go. Right, like that. That that that's actually. But he wore number one when he was good. He actually wore number two when he wasn't so good. Oh, well, there you go. How about right. number eight, which was worn by both Yogi and Bill Dickey? Yeah. So which one's that's better? A, right. Yeah. That's a great. These I are mean, great questions. I think Yogi's better, but uh, the, um, uh, yeah, know, but I I would love to know you know that some of those uh, some of those numbers. Who else wore like you know fifty uh, one? Who else has worn ninety nine? Probably no one. Right. No, uh, nobody. I think no it's one, just yeah. no. Uh, Charlie Keller wore it for one season. Okay, because because when you're when you're six eight and two hundred ninety pounds, you're allowed to wear that. But I think otherwise, it's not. It's it, or you're Wayne Gretzky, right? Like th- those are the two t- times it's permissible to wear ninety nine. Hey, can I just say something about why I'm still optimistic about the season? I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about good stuff going on this season. Look at today's game, right? I mean, late breaking news. It's uh, ninth inning. Yankees. Yeah. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton gets a single. Right. They bring in Lo Castro. Lo, Lo Castro steals second. Uh, Hicks strikes out, uh, but then Glaber Torres gets a single, and the Yankees go up 3-2, but based on his timely hitting, uh, stealing a base, situational hitting, uh, just coming through in the, in the clutch, and uh, that's Get, not something we were seeing done, last year. I agree with you, getting it done the old-fashioned way. All right, so at the bottom of the ninth is about ready to happen, so I think that's a good time for us to wrap up our show. We can go see if the Yankees can hold off and win what would this be? Their 10th straight or 11th straight? 10 straight. 10 straight. Let's go Yankees. Everybody, thanks for tuning into the soon-to-be number one show on the Northeast Streaming Sports Network. Start spreading the news. Have a great night.